guys. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ashton. It is 8.26 here in the morning. It is November 20th. And we are going to talk about LeBron James and how he's doing with the Cavs. And then we're also going to talk about the Clippers. And then later on in the show, we'll get about, I'll talk about the Chiefs, see how they're doing. So LeBron James with the Lakers, he's the league leader in assists, averaging 10 assists per game. He's never averaged double-digit assists in his career. This is the first time he's done that. And if you look around the entire team as a whole, he has Danny Green, Avery Bradley, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, Jared Dudley. I mean, these guys are ballers. And Dwight Howard, I would have never, ever thought in a million years, would have been able to play at a consistent level anymore. But he's really accepted that sixth-man role in coming off the bench and is doing a tremendous job. They are one of the top five defenses, if not the best defense in the league. And they have gone on a tear recently, and they have the best record in the NBA. And it's right up there with the Boston Celtics as well. And the Boston Celtics and the Lakers are both at the top of their conferences, and... I would have never thought that come like through 12, 13, 14 games into the regular season, but here we are. I would have thought that the Boston Celtics, as a matter of fact, would have been like sixth seed, fifth or sixth seed this year. I didn't really expect to see much of them because they don't really have a, a low post guy, and especially since Ennis Cantor is out, and they just kind of have a a hole right there, right now in the middle, but everybody's playing well. Kemba's playing well, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum. Gordon Hayward just went down with an injury, so he'll be out for a little bit, but Jason Tatum, he has really, he's made that leap that he did his rookie season, and, you know, everybody's blaming Kyrie and all that of stunting his growth, and I'm not putting all the blame on Kyrie, but the ball movement wasn't really there. And when Kyrie was there, he was... Kyrie is a ball-dominant player. He dribbles the ball. He likes isolation. He likes to do take the big shot and the hard shot. And that's what he did. And what did everybody else do? They just kind of stood around and watched him do his dance like they like people do in Houston when they watch James Harden they just kind of stand around and and wait to wait to get the ball which really never nine times out of ten never never really happens so people that with players like that and when uh, people were kind of discouraged to take shots when Kyrie was on the floor because Kyrie wanted to be the one to make that big shot. And Jason Tatum, he wants to take those big shots. And Jalen Brown wants to take those big shots as well. 
And when you have a ball-dominant guy like Kyrie, the situation's never really going to work a whole lot well in your favor, especially with that type of talent. And the expectations were big for Boston because they had just came off the Eastern Conference Finals the year before without Kyrie. And now Kyrie comes into the mix. Um, Kyrie wasn't there with that run uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. And the rest of the team was, except for Gordon Hayward. He was out with the injury. But a lot of, a lot of people like Stephen A. think that what threw off the Boston Celtics, especially early on in the year, was bringing Gordon Hayward back. And I agree with that. But also, like, you've got to get your other guys involved. And you got to give them confidence to shoot the ball, shoot the ball, and like I was, like I heard this on the jump that people were discouraged for for shooting shots. Like Jason Tatum would get yelled at for shooting a shot instead of like passing the ball to Kyrie and let him do it, and it just they didn't really feel that comfortable with Kyrie, but with Kemba now. Kemba, he's not a ball-dominant player. He's, he's more of a, uh, I want to pass it around, let the team do it. He's a, he's a team player, and he's, he's a really great leader for the Boston Celtics. And he's led them so far through multiple games. And he's one of their best, if not their best player. And I, I kind of knew that Kemba would had success in Boston. I didn't think that they would be the first seed this year, but that's quite impressive. Now, to keep it up for 82 games, that's going to be a stretch. I see them being like a third seed at the end of the season, like a top three seed, but um, they're in, I, would, I would really like it for them to be a, a one seed, but for them to be a, a three seed would be, I think, would be the most thinkable thing because the Bucks, Bucks have gone off to a rough start, but they are getting back on track because they have the MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they also have the 76ers that they have to go up against as well, and the 76ers will rise up and play a lot better for sure. But other than that, that's Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference. They are leading the conference right now. And going back over to the West, the the Lakers have done pretty well so far. And LeBron James, he's really led that team. And the most impressive thing is that, like, they're with the multiple coaches that they have on that coaching staff. They have Frank Vogel, they have, I believe they have Lionel Hollins on there, on there as well, and Jason Kidd, multiple head coach personalities, and yet they have all come collectively together to come to one goal, and that's, that's to win, and what, like, Dwight, I didn't, Think that it'd go well for Dwight. His second go around, 
in L.A., but he, at the time that he, Dwight came, was back in 2012, while he was playing with Kobe Bryant, and Dwight had that ego. Dwight had that, I'm an all-star type of mentality, like, I'm the best center in the league, and I can do whatever I want. And he didn't play all that, like, he, he did all right in, uh, in the Lakers, his first go-around, but just the chemistry between him and Steve Nash and Kobe just... It didn't go great, and then, of course, there were injuries along with the uh, White to kind of end his season, and uh, he moved on. He moved. He went to the the Rockets and played like a few years over there and did really well with the Rockets. But his his time with the Lakers was like one to forget, and. He only, like, he barely even played a season with the Lakers. And I remember that summer going into watching the Lakers get Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. I was like, they're going to win the championship. They're going to challenge the Miami Heat for the championship. And yet they were nowhere near close. Because Steve Nash was at the very end of his career. Um... And he he wasn't the same player, and Kobe he's he had him and Dwight were getting into arguments about everything, and it just nothing was going right for them, and uh, they just I'm like that's kind of the nutshell of Dwight's Howard's time and as a Laker, but coming back, I think he would. He wanted to prove everybody to everybody he's because he was the last stop for Dwight Howard was with the Wizards. Then he went to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies released him. They bought him out because they didn't want him on the team. They're like, no, we would rather have fresh young talent than to see what we know about somebody and we don't want him. And I'll get I'll get to my Grizzlies as well in a minute, but. Uh, Dwight Howard has impressed me like big time. He's a big candidate right now for the sixth man of the year. I know that's early in the season. It's really early in the season, but Dwight Howard has done really well. And I would have never thought that in a million years. And it's kind of pretty awesome to see that. And I will also get to Carmelo as well, now that it's on my mind, but as someone who I would have never thought would have an opportunity to be in the league, but Dwight Howard has done really well. Congrats for him. I hope he keeps it up. Um, So the Memphis Grizzlies, they aren't the greatest team, not going to lie, but they have John Morant, and I was... I was giving John Morant some hype in the summer, over the summer, saying, "Watch this kid. He's gonna, he's gonna be, he's gonna be really good." He's already had one game winner. I'm, I'm impressed by that. And it was against the Hornets. It was a one seven, one nineteen to one seventeen game, 
and uh, John Morant literally just went and drove into the lane and just laid it in with his left hand and within traffic and the dude is he's so good I mean there's not much he can't do out there and like the only thing that I worry about is like his three-point shooting and that's it like the dude literally he is so good at passing and he takes everybody off the dribble so easily with his speed he's he's so quick and the Grizzlies as a whole eh, not the greatest team but they've like they got Trey Jones that was from uh, the Timberwolves they have Jay Crowder who was from the Jazz um, just to name some a few guys for you to I don't know anybody but John Morant on that team well I just gave you a few names but um, a, a player on the Grizzlies right now Andre Iguodala who hasn't played much that will probably go to one of the LA teams um, in the Clippers or the Lakers he hasn't played and it's for good reason he, do, he doesn't want to play in the Memphis uniform and I don't blame him he's, I know that he wants to be on a contender and wants his he wants to buy out of his contract after getting traded to the, the Grizzlies and the I just don't see Andre Iguodala ever playing in a Grizzlies uniform ever <laughs> like I think the world would end before I would see that happen uh, at least for like to be on a contender at least he wants I know that he wants to be on a contender and play for a really well-round team and he's just not going to be a part of that so and so he's not going to be a part of that team and Grizzlies overall they've they still got a lot of things to improve on but so far John Murray has impressed me I really wanted to disclose that and being an okay team let's go over to the Trailblazers they've been not that great they've been way below average and gotten off to a rough start they don't have Ennis Cantor who, who helped them defensively in for the Trailblazers and they the Trailblazers recently signed a player Carmelo Anthony and he had his season debut last night I uh, now I have not watched any of his highlights I, I didn't know that he was playing last night I just saw on my phone last night that uh, on YouTube he uh, ESPN had said he had some ups and downs which is um, normal because the dude hasn't played in over what a year and a half but uh, but the what the trailblazers need to do is just make Carmelo an option to score just let him do isolation that's that's his bread and butter. That's what he has made 
millions of dollars on. That's what his career is based on, is being an ISO player that can get buckets. That's basically what he is. He's a scoring machine. That's an ISO scoring machine. That's what he is. And the Trailblazers, they need bodies because they are losing uh, they're losing everybody to injury. They lost Zach Collins to injury. Um, he'll be out for some time. And they don't have Nurk Nurkic um, Yusuf Nurk Nurkic who probably is going to be coming back in April <laughs> right around the playoffs. The dude had a, Yusuf Nurkic had a terrible injury to the lower body. I think it was his knee. But um, that didn't He's going to still be out for some time. And what the Trailblazers, they don't have anybody really sound defensively. They lost Maurice Harkless and Alfaruk Aminu. And I know those are some weird names, but uh, they were really sound defensively. And they brought also some scoring on the off offensive side as well. Alfred Camino was improving as an offensive player and he had kind of added a three-point shot to his game and I don't know where uh, Alfred Camino is playing right now but uh, Maurice Harkless he's playing with the Clippers and actually got one of the he got a couple steals off of uh, LeBron in that first game against the, the Lakers and impressed me in that game, um, getting those steals defensively. But the Trailblazers, yeah, they've been a terrible. Like, they there are people that are saying in the organization that they should just blow it up, um, start start from scratch, start all over, but. I don't, I don't know about that because you have a lot of guys out due to injury and you lost players that were really sound defensively to free agency. And I don't know, like, I wouldn't blow it up in Portland just yet. I would give it some time. I would rethink some things and come back later on. So what things... Uh, we should be thinking about is Chiefs defense and transitioning over to the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs, my oh my, they have been fun to watch and also a headache at the same time. We lost, uh, this was a couple games ago, to the Titans. And that, that game in a nutshell, was why did we let the defense be on the field for so very long? Why did we, like, hand the game over to the defense and say, here, defense, let you take over? Because we have so much faith in you, like we do our offense. And that was probably one of the worst decisions that Andy Reid could possibly have. And guess what? 
He made it again. He made that same decision again against the Chargers. And Monday night. Luckily, Monday night, we won the game because Philip Rivers was Philip Rivers and just was drunk off of his past success and like, oh, I'm Philip Rivers. I'm going to throw this where I want. And throws it where it's just, he, he lobs it for Daniel Swordson to just turn around. He doesn't even really have to play defense. He just has to like kind of turn around and just see a ball in the air and go, oh, I can definitely catch that. So, and just jump up and catch it. And that was the game-winning interception. Well, with the Titans, we had every opportunity to beat them, and we just didn't get it done. We just let um, our defense stay out there on the field. We gave up a huge touchdown. Ryan Tannehill looked like a real first-round pick against us after he was a first-round pick against the Dolphins. Won't get into that, but uh, we let Ryan Tannehill, out of all people, beat us up and let a comeback happen against us. And our offense, somebody has to say it, our offense has looked stagnant for the last two, three weeks. It's not that same explosive offense that everybody's accustomed to watching with the Chiefs. And it's just gone straight to crap right now. And we might be in panic mode because we cannot win a Super Bowl if our offense does not take over. There is no way on God's green earth that we are winning an AFC Championship game if we are playing exactly the way that we are playing right now against the Patriots. There's no way. They're going to smack our behinds. Especially even though... The Patriots offensively are struggling like we are. Guess what the Patriots have that we don't? A good defense. <laughs> a good defense. A really, really good defense. They can rely on their defense. They don't have to put up 20 to 30 points to win. They just have to put up 17 to win. And just rely on that defense and say, defense, you, you do the job. You take over and stop everybody. That defense is elite. That's like the best defense that Tom Brady has ever had. But yet his offensive struggles is like the 2003 offensive struggles. That's what his offense is playing like right now. He has that 2003 offense. Now I know that all the people like me, my age, we weren't, we, we never really watched the 2003 Patriots, but the older people in the room, the older people that have watched Tom Brady for years knows that 2003 offense and how stagnant and terrible that they were. And when Tom Brady is complaining about having weapons, like begging for weapons to happen, like to be brought in, and, uh, you know, People may or may not know this, but Antonio Brown was welcomed into Tom Brady's household. Antonio Brown had sexual assault allegations put against him. I would have never allowed that to happen. 
but you got to be one desperate man to to know those allegations are coming and to say, yeah, you are more than welcome to stay in my home. And he's just got to be desperate from that standpoint. And the Chiefs, they are in a world of trouble if they cannot get it going on the offensive end like the Patriots. And I am sorry, but the Chiefs, I don't see them winning a, a, a Super Bowl this year. I just, I want it to happen, of course. Do I see it happening? No. Mainly because we can't stop the run. And every time that we do stop the run, we have like Tyron Matthew up, up against the line of scrimmage where he likes to play. I'll give him that. And But he has to be up against the line of scrimmage and when he's not in the game and when they do running plays he runs up the the running back for the other team rips off 15 to 20 yards on a running play and you're like where the crap is Tyron Matthew because we got to throw him back into the game now but this team needs to stop the run because if they don't they are going to lose a playoff game and that's how they're going to lose and the pay nobody wants to face the ravens but if we face the ravens that's that's a possibility that's a big time possibility we're losing in the playoffs because their defense is again elite and they and their offense is predicated on running the football and guess what Lamar Jackson is right now? He's a league MVP candidate right now. And you want to know how he is a league MVP? Not only is he really good with throwing the football, but guess what else he can do? He can run the football. And guess what the Chiefs defense sucks at? Stopping the run. <laughs> so, if we face them in the playoffs, I don't see a win happening. I see another Baltimore Ravens team coming into Kansas City and whooping our tails. That's what I see happening. So, on that note, guys, thank you for listening to the podcast today. Um, if you want, if you are new, subscribe to the channel. And thanks, guys. Adios.